0: I'd like to invite you to uh, just extend your hands before you in a posture of receptivity um, as we ask the Lord to speak to us from from his word. Um, Would you pray with me? Father, what we're about to do now is to uh, open your word and to hear from your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would be hands and hearts and heads that are receptive to your word, that we might hear from you, that we might experience you in a new way. And Father, we just thank you that um, your word is something that is not both present and relevant, but it's eternal. And we pray it's, it's ministry among us would be fulfilling to each of us and a blessing. We pray this in your name. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It happened on the Jericho Road. It always happens on the Jericho Road. The Jericho Road is that 17-mile road that connects Jerusalem to Jericho. In that 17 miles, the terrain is rugged and rough, and it literally drops 3,600 feet in that 17 miles. Roughly seven-tenths of a mile, it loses an elevation. It is a steep, winding, descending, remote road that for century, centuries has been plagued by robbers. The Jericho Road the road where the story of the Good Samaritan takes place. It is 17 miles of violence and oppression. It is the road of suffering. And the Jericho Road, although it is a real road, is also very symbolic. A symbol of suffering in our world, a symbol of lost and broken people, people who are marginalized and left to bleed and die. It is where domestic violence happens. It is the slums of Chicago. It is sex trafficking in Phoenix. It's the San Marcos Elementary School where most of the kids come from very poor circumstances. It is Ed Getz dying of Alzheimer's. It is the Navajo reservation where poverty and addiction rules the day. It's the Jericho Road. It is the dark corners where street violence and child abuse and racism live and breed. Where the gospel is heard only in faint, muted whispers, Jericho Road is always with us. Let me share with you a parable of a parable. One day, a priest went to visit the Jericho Road. He was a very religious man and he saw somebody who had been hurt on the Jericho Road and he was mortified. He came and gave that person the last rites and he quickly ran back to his parish as fast as he could. The following Sunday he gave a stirring sermon, a sterling sermon about the Jericho Road and he felt so much better. There was another pastor who went down to the Jericho Road and he was appalled by what he saw. It was, an off, it was awful on the Jericho Road and so he came back to his church and do you know what he did? He taught a course called The Biblical Understanding of and Perspective of Poverty. They showed films of people who were being beaten on the Jericho Road and everybody felt properly rotten, but they also felt better that they'd finally son, done something for people on the Jericho Road. There was still another person, he was a revivalist, Now, he didn't go to the Jericho Road, but he saw it on television, and he gathered 65,000 people together in the Jerusalem Dome, and they sang songs about the Jericho Road. You should have seen them, their microphones and their costumes and their spotlights, how they sang and prayed so beautifully about the Jericho Road. Then there was the left-wing activist who went to the Jericho Road, and he was incensed. He was angry by what he saw. He came back and he organized demonstrations in the cities. He got all the young people out of the high schools and colleges and graduate schools. They shut down the universities and they marched on the Jerusalem Monument by the capital city. Yes, they were very active for the people on the Jericho Road. But then there was a person on the political right, and he went down to Jericho Road and he saw what moral decay had taken place in this country of ours. He thought, we've got to solve the problem. We've got to raise employment and change the economy so there won't be so much violence on Jericho Road. So what did he do? He lessened taxes for the rich so the rich would have more money to make investments so there would be more jobs for the poor. And he increased the sales tax on the poor so all people could help pay for the costs of maintaining the Jericho Road. While the priest and the pastor and the revivalist and the left-wing activists and the right-wing moralists were all busy, the man on the Jericho Road died. Jericho Road is always with us, it is a place where people are robbed, where they're robbed of their dignity, of their love, where they're robbed of their food and clothing, robbed of their value as human beings, robbed of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is any place where there is suffering and oppression. Now the story of the Good Samaritan is one of the great stories in all of Christendom. It's the story that more people know about than any other story in the Bible when you do a poll of all people. They know this story more than all other stories. This one and the story of the prodigal son. But I'd like you for you to listen carefully once again to this great story. I'll be reading it from Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 37. And in this story, I pray that you would look for the Jericho Road and how you can respond to it. This is the word of God for the people of God from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? By the way, whenever you ask Jesus a follow-up question, be very careful okay, of what the answer is going to be. That's what he did. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, note the adjective before Samaritan, a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. During the series of messages these four weeks, On the Move, we're talking about the Gospel that starts at home and that goes out into our city, into our region, and then to the ends of the earth. As we look at all of this territory that God has said that we have the opportunity to claim for the Kingdom, there we find the Jericho Road. The difficult road. It's dark and it's dangerous. It's desperate. But it's that road that we travel on to get to the ends of the earth, to speak the good news of Jesus. The text that we are using through this whole series comes from Acts chapter one, verse eight, where we read these words You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and there you will find the Jericho Road, and to the ends of the earth. The Gospel is not to be hoarded. The Gospel is not to be kept to ourselves. The Gospel is to be shared. God gave each and every one of us, those of us who are here this morning that are Christ followers, He has given you a job, a perspective. He has given you a mantle. He has given you a job to do, and that is to be emissaries, ambassadors for Jesus Christ in our world. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has given you the good news of God's reconciling love to share with the world starting at home and then going out from there to the rest of the world and along those paths to the rest of the world we find the Jericho Road. Now I realize that being witnesses on the Jericho Road is difficult. It's where we find our neighbor. Now we might say to the victims on the Jericho Road, well, just stay off of the road. It's a dangerous place. You should have known better. You should have done a better job of trying to figure out a different way to get to where you're going than walking on the Jericho Road. It's easy to stand back and say, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to be hurt if you do. Or we could let the professionals deal with those people on the Jericho Road, the priests and the pastors, the politicians, the philanthropists, the philosophers. But this parable says, we, that's you and that's me. We are responsible for the Jericho Road. These victims are our neighbors. And we are to heal their wounds, speak words of grace, and bear witness to the love and the mercy of Jesus. So what are the lessons from the Jericho Road for us today. The first one is kind of um, difficult to hear, but it's at the very center of our text today, and it's this. Jesus speaks to his followers about non-involvement. Jesus speaks to his followers about non- involvement. Well, Pastor, I just lived my own life. I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> I don't want to get involved and People that are having trouble and people that I can't really deal with, I can't fully understand because they have different uh, perspective, they have a different economic system, different colored skin. I just don't know how to deal with them, therefore I stay away. I don't want to get involved on the Jericho Road. Maybe some of you remember the story of Kitty Geno- Genovese. Kitty was driving into New York City a few years ago, and she had a flat tire in a very poor, part of the neighbor- a p- very poor neighborhood. And while she was trying to figure out how to change her tire, people passing by in cars, people passing by on the sidewalks, people in all of the apartments around her that could easily see what was going on. She was attacked, she was set upon by a group of uh, thugs, and she was beaten, she was robbed, and they did other things to her as well, Kitty GOVs. You ask the question, why didn't somebody help? People were passing by, it took 20 full minutes for them to do to her what they did to her. No one said a word. No one did a thing. The politicians the next day had lots of things to say about it. Of course, they didn't do anything as well. Politicians say, well, this brings up a question about what's going wrong with America. Why didn't anyone come to the aid of Kitty Genovese? People had become afraid to get involved and their story became a symbol of kind of a new sickness that was sweeping across America. A new epidemic, a new dis-ease, non-involvement, when I see other people being beaten up in life. Or maybe you remember the story about a Harvard Divinity School. This happened just a couple of years ago. A professor was teaching a class, and the class was called Christians and Society. Now, this is Harvard Divinity School. These are the best and the brightest of young people that want to be pastors and priests and missionaries. These were the cream of the crop, and they were taking this class uh, on Christians and Society, and they had a three-hour exam, and the exam was entitled Being a Moral Christian in an Immoral Society, and this is how the test went. For the first 90 minutes, they stayed in the room and they took the test. Then the, the professor said they were going to take a break, have a 10 minute break, only 10 minute break. At the end of the 10 minute break, they had to come in and finish the test. If they did not come back in or if they were late, they would not be able to finish the test and they would fail. After 90 minutes, they went out to the courtyard where the professor had set up drinks and uh, cookies and snacks. And so they're out there enjoying. But then the real test took place because off to the side, there was a young man who had been beaten up and was bleeding and was hurting terribly, groaning and moaning. And the students looked at each other. What should we do? Should we help them? Well, we can't help them because if we do, we'll miss the exam. If we miss the exam, we'll flunk our class. And we're Harvard students, and we can't do that. And after 10 minutes of eating cookies and drinking iced tea, they went back and they finished their test. Every one of them. The professor flunked all of them because he had set that up. He had provided that man out there to be there. That was the test. That was the real test. Because the real tests are always seen on the Jericho Road. I don't know what this means for you, but mostly doing the hard thing is usually doing the right thing. Or to say it the other way, Doing the hard thing is usually the right thing to do. Some people say, well, let the preachers tell them about Jesus. But our text says that we are to be witnesses. Yes, even to those on the Jericho Road. Well, let the government programs deal with poverty. Let sex trafficking and school children, homeless, let all of those people being taken care of by other people. We send missionaries, so let the missionaries do that. We squawk about all the uh, illegal immigrants and then we let the kids that are of those immigrants not learn how to read. There's a Navajo orphanage that has kids that have no place to go. Let someone else do it. So we look at the parable. The first man is a priest, literally. It means he was a Pharisee which means he was highly trained, educated, and he was wealthy. And this man was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that 3,600 foot drop in 17 miles, very rugged terrain, very difficult road. The road was known as the road of blood. That's how many times there were robberies and people beaten and killed on that road, the road of blood. But this priest somehow needed to get from Jerusalem to Jericho, so he finished his services on the Sabbath. He probably had a, uh, had a great ministry. He probably preached to a large crowd. It was probably exciting and wonderful. He had good ministry. He felt like he had a good word to share. Everything was going well. But now he had to go to Jericho to probably visit on some sick people and do some ministry there. He was very busy. He was very engaged in ministry and when he saw this man on the other side of the Jericho Road, he simply had to step aside. We say, well, why did he have to step aside? Well, his religion informed him that he needed to step aside because his religion said that if you're a Jewish man and you're a priest, you're not allowed to touch dead things and The man looked like he could be dead and you're not allowed to touch broken and wounded things either and so his religion informed him that I'm too busy, I'm too important, and I certainly can't be bothered with this man who is dying or dead. And so he stepped aside to the other side of the road. But then there was a second man, a temple assistant, the Bible says. That means he was a Levite. He was from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites for generations had been the keepers of the temple. They were the ones that they took care of the temple. Uh, They set up the stage and they set up the drum set and they set up all of the instruments and they made sure everything was beautiful and they put flowers in the temple and they made sure they had cookies and coffee and they did all of that work and they were generationally important because generation after generation, the the Levites always took care of the temple. Very important, very religious. uh, and They had all of these things to offer their community. And in addition to that, you need to hear this very clearly. I'm not suggesting for a moment that walking on the Jericho Road is not dangerous. It is very dangerous. It is the way of blood. It's where there's a good chance if you stop to help this man, there's a good chance you might be beat up too. There's a good chance you might be robbed too. So I'm not saying or suggesting in any way that it, was e- it would have been easy or convenient for them to stop and help the man, but the f- simple fact is this. They just didn't do it. Their religion did not inform them to help this man. Generational leverage. I'm a Levite. I don't want to stain on my family history. Very real danger. Then there was a third man. He wasn't just a Samaritan. He was what? A despised Samaritan. Now, say, well, what's wrong with a Samaritan? He was from Samaria. Well, it wasn't clearly that. A Samaritan was not just someone that was from Samaria. Samaria. A Samaritan was someone who was a half-breed. They were half-Jewish, half-something else, either half-Greek or half-Pagan or half-something else. They were despised, despised by Jewish people. They were not pure. Their blood was not pure. They didn't behave the way they were supposed to. They didn't do the kinds of things they were supposed to. They didn't do religion the right way. Uh, they, they were weird. They were different. They were odd. They had different color skin. They had different habits and we just can't abide by that. He was a despised Samaritan. That's the man who came along the, ro- the Jericho road. Now when he came upon this man, who was this man that was there on the side of the road? We only know one thing about him and it's what? He was a Jewish man. The very people that hated this Samaritan was represented in that man that was wounded and bruised and almost dead. Someone who has never received grace from any Jewish person ever in his life was now expected to give grace to a Jewish person. How is it possible that someone who's never experienced grace in their life, and we can be so easily critical of people in our world that have been underprivileged to say, well, yeah, they just should have stayed off the Jericho Road. It's just so easy to say, they just should have done this or should have done that. How is it that a man who has never received grace had grace and compassion to give to someone else, especially to his tormentors? But that's exactly what he did. Now, we don't know anything about this man except what the Bible says that he was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion for this man whose whole race hated him. He took his own money, he took his own olive oil and wine and rags and wrapped the wound, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper after he took him. He did all of this himself because the Bible says he had compassion on the man. How is it that um, we lack in compassion? I I don't understand that. And I'm not talking about just you, I'm talking about me. I look at myself sometimes and I think to myself, how on earth is it possible that I don't have compassion for that person? I have all these righteous indignation stuff going on inside of me, all of these things saying, well, they should have done this, they should have gotten a job, they should have done that, they should have done something else. And yet I have become that despised Samaritan that is supposed to give compassion to them. Jesus has given me so much compassion, so much love that it can't even be measured. How is it possible that I cannot give that to someone else? He felt compassion. There's a a book, in fact, I would recommend it. It's a wonderful book. It's called The Shantung Compound, written by Langdon Gilkey. It's a historical... I love uh, military history, and uh, that's what this book is about. So let me give you the backdrop of this. There were... um, at the outbreak of World War II, actually not at the outbreak, but when um, the United States entered the war after Pearl Harbor, there were uh, 1,500 people that were working in Japan, one area of Japan, that were Europeans and Americans. So. Britain the, the British, Americans, they were mostly missionaries, teachers, envoys, politicians, all of them working in Japan. And these pers- pe- pe- people were all herded, 1,500 of them, were all herded into this internment camp. Now, we say, well, that's terrible. Why did they do that? Well, before you get too indignant, that's exactly what we did to the Japanese. So, okay, we're, all, we're even there, right? So these people were herded into this internment camp. Um, uh, 300 of them were Americans and of the 1500. And they were heard into this internment camp, and Gilkey goes on and talks about how the conditions were just absolutely terrible. They put them all in a place in China where they had uh, taken over this certain area of China the Japanese had, and it was the Shantung province, and that's where this compound was. Dirty, filthy, no food, Uh, people were starting to die of these 1500 uh, prisoners that were interned. And so this was going on, and then he tells a story of what happened when uh, 2,100 packages of food, parcels of food, were uh, given by the American Red Cross and found their way to this compound. So the people think, great, we have some food, finally we have some food, we have something to eat, right? So they're excited about that and and the Japanese said, okay, what's the fair way to distribute this? We don't, we could just throw it in a pile, let them be animals and kind of, but let's do this fairly. So we will give one pa- parcel of food to every single person, all 1,500, the leftover 600 parcels of food will be divided between the 200, or excuse me, the 300 Americans, because it came from the American Red Cross. So uh, the Americans will get three parcels of food, and everyone else will get one, and the Japanese uh, leaders thought that was a fair way to do it. And on the surface it sounded like it was fair, but that's not what happened. So you're thinking, okay, what happened to the circumstance? See, when you are, (laughs) when you are set upon When you're put in a situation where you are completely consumed with fear and you have this survivalist mode, you would like to think that the religious and moralistic part of you would come to the surface and and be great and everything, but that's usually not the case. Here's what happened. Those 300 Americans decided that it wasn't fair that everyone got a packet, that because the American Red Cross delivered it, that each of them should have seven parcels of food and the rest of the 1,200 people should have nothing. Now, again, we say, oh, that's terrible. That would never happen to me. Well, it happened to all 300 of them. And yes, it probably would have been exactly what would have happened to you. Why? Because we fear casts out love. We say, perfect love, John said, 1 John 1.19, First, uh, perfect love casts out fear, but the opposite of that is true as well. Fear casts out love. And we we go like this. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to sacrifice me. I'm not going to go on the road to Jericho because it's too dangerous. I don't want any part of it. Those are people that should have taken care of themselves. I'm not going on the Jericho road. There's one other example of the Jericho road that I wanted to share with you. It came on February 5th, 1994, at the national prayer breakfast for President Clinton. Politicians from both parties were there, and they invited an old, frail, four-foot-nine Albanian nun to preach. Who was that? Mother Teresa, that's right. So she gets up there, and uh, politicians should always ask their speakers what they're going to talk about before they, before they actually talk about it, but they didn't ask her. So she started talking about the things she normally talked about, how we can care for the poor and those kind of things, how that all people matter, all human beings matter. But then she got off on a jag on abortion. And, that, of course, that made all of the uh, politicians, not all of them, many of them, very uncomfortable at that moment, right? And so she started talking about it and talking about how that... How can we sacrifice the life of a child when there are people all over the world that would be honored and happy to take them and adopt them? I mean, we know that even today. There are people ready, willing, and able to, be, to adopt, and, and they can't adopt without paying an extraordinary amount of money or going to West Africa or someplace like that. But uh, she was talking about how that, that abortion is wrong, that this is not God's plan, and that these are human beings, and these are God's children. And then she was getting very passionate, and towards the end of her talk she said this, if you're thinking about having an abortion, if you're thinking about giving up a child, Give that child to me, she said. Give that child to me. I'll find a home for that child. Or I'll keep that child with me. But you give that child to me. You see, when we are Christ followers, we get our hands dirty. And we say, give that child to me. And we say, no, you have a parcel of food. And we say, these are the things that we do. Because when we come across people on the Jericho Road, they're people that are much usually less than us. At least society thinks so. lesson on the Jericho Road. We must, we must know who our neighbor is. There's one last um, lesson on the Jericho Road. And um, it's kind of different because I want to kind of turn this a little bit uh, as we close the message today. And it's this. On the Jericho Road we find that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Let me explain that. Uh, There's an old hymn that uh, those of us that grew up in church uh, are familiar with. Uh, how many of have ever heard of the hymn, 150 years old, Make Me a Blessing? Okay, out on the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad, right? Okay. That's uh, a wonderful hymn we used to sing in church a lot. Let me tell you some of the words of this great hymn. Out on the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. What the hymn writer was writing about, even though he didn't know it, know it he was writing about the Jericho Road. He was writing about all of those people who are limping and broken and bloodied. All of those people who are different and unusual and strange and other. All of those people who are not considered by society to be okay. All of them, many are weary and sad. And I'm sure at that, at that moment um, when we realize that our neighbors are anyone who is in need, the Bible is very clear on that. Our neighbors are not the people that abut up against our fence, but our neighbors are anyone who is in need. That we realize that there are many who are weary and sad. And then the hymn, this, the hymn writer goes on, Give as was given to you in your need. Love as the master loved you. Be to the helpless a helper indeed, unto your mission be true. Unto your mission be true. Let me read that again. Give as was given to you in your need. Love as the master loved you. Be to the helpless a helper indeed, unto your mission be true. See, what the hymn writer was saying, what Jesus said, was the same thing, and it's this. Anyone who is in need, anyone who is broken and weary and sad, anyone who is different or odd or other is your neighbor. Anyone. Because God has ordained you to be an ambassador from heaven to earth with the reconciling love of Jesus, the message to give to all people, especially to those who are on the Jericho Road. Now let me close with this. This morning, my thought and my belief is that some of you are on the Jericho Road. It's not that you're walking along and you see someone bloodied and wounded, but you are the one who is bloodied and wounded. You are the one who people are stepping over. You are the one that people are crossing the street so they don't have to deal with your issues, with your problems, with your pain. You are the ones who have been set upon by thieves on the Jericho Road. And those thieves on Jericho Road are always the same. Their names are fear and lust and anger and despair and loneliness and defeat. They are all from the kingdom of sin. And Jesus comes with the kingdom of God. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ is your good Samaritan. Jesus Christ bends over you with words of love and affirmation. Jesus Christ binds your wounds, brings healing to your body, to your soul, and takes you into his own house. He stops, always stops, to bind your wounds. He is the Good Samaritan. He stands ready and waiting. All you need to do is invite him into your heart and life. And you need never travel the Jericho Road alone. Would you bow your head?